0: Hey, that said, I'm ready to go. I'm excited. We're finishing up the section called The Flood. And if you would please open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8, where we continue where we left off. Then God remembered Noah. This is what we refer to as an an anthropomorphism. It is where God assigns human characteristics to God. And we'll see it a couple of times. We see it here and we'll see it again uh, when we get down into the end of chapter 8, verse 21, where we see the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Again, the same Hebrewism where we see God, uh, human characteristics assigned to God. Now, I'm going to f- pop up. You know I don't usually do slides presentation, but we're going to put up a slide here. We may have to cut this, uh, the front lights there for me, uh, Usher, if you could, for you to be able to see this. I will keep this up right now as we go through here because it's important as we go through the chronological aspect of the flood there are many um, key uh, dates and times that, this, that God gives us in the scripture. And as you look at this, you'll see there's a little asterisk. Those asterisks mean that I have actually, those are from the actual scripture. And then based on that, you can tell based on other language, you can assign the other dates that do not have the asterisks. So just as we go through this, you'll see that we're going to talk about the time that Noah and his family, there's eight people that are saved through the flood, 377 days on the ark. Of that, it was a one year and 17 days because remember during that time, the calendar year was only 360 days, not 365 days. So those are key things as you analytical people and note takers and pencil pushers, as you make notes, you can understand and I give you something that I said, you know, I probably should make this up here real quick and based on the scripture to help you all from that and certainly if you're interested uh, to go into more details we can do that so after that we can put back on the other slide so without this doesn't become a distraction for you because i want you to hear the word of god as we go through that and we can come back to that at the end if we need to and if you afterwards i i share this is not proprietary information i'll it's from the word of god so i i made it up i can give you a copy if you want that for your uh reading pleasure later so god remembered noah It's the new beginnings. It's not the fact that God forgot Noah. It's the fact that now his attention now pours out here in the scriptures of the more details of what's going to happen next. Because we saw, as we last week, he took eight people. Noah, who was righteous, and his wife, and his three sons, and three daughters. daughter-in-laws, or th- their wives, and they put them on the ark with the animals that God brought to Noah, brought them in, there was no chaos here, God moved things in order, in a decent and orderly manner, and put them into this ark that God told Noah to build, and he was obedient by faith to build something they didn't know anything about. Because at that point in time, there was no rain. Yes, there was probably rivers and springs coming up. But there was nothing to the degree of an entire uh, flood that would cover the entire earth. That was beyond, you you couldn't even understand and see that piece. And God didn't even give them all those details until after he built the ark. Until after these things were put in motion. He even tested their faith even more by putting them on the arks for seven days before he made it rain. And we wonder why we didn't get answers within 15 minutes after we threw up a prayer to God. And sometimes God says, you're going somewhere, and you're like, okay, is it not done yet? You're going to wait 100 years for me to build this before it comes to to place? And then after 100 years of building this barge, this, this boat, the ark, You wait another seven days before you're telling us what something's going to happen? And by God's grace, there was a man, his wife, my three sons, and their wives. Keep in mind, when he started and got this commandment, did he have children? I mean, he, he was still raising children in the ministry of building this ark. People thought he was crazy. He's out there. Here's a preacher of righteousness out there day after day, building by faith what God had told him to build. And he's telling and and preaching righteousness to the, the entire community who would listen. And none would receive. But that did not deter him from what God had told him to do. And by faith, he continued to trust in his God to do what God commanded him to do. And now here we are in the scriptures. God is now bringing to Noah every living thing, right? Remember, he he remembered Noah, all the living thing that he put all the animals that were with him on the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. So it's okay, Now it's the next step in the journey. Have the animals on the ark, we have the eight people on the ark, and then now the earth is completely flooded. All you see is water. And here we see that God comes to Noah here at the time of where he's at, and God made a wind. Here's the first mention of wind. There was not wind prior to this. And we see rock is the original language, which means spirit or breath. So God breathed, the wind moved, and now we see God is moving now the waters once again, and he is putting the waters and subsiding them. Verse 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. So remember, An entire change of the earth took place. The water from within the the land, the earth started coming out. So, an incredible uh, 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 ecosystem was completely disrupted. Everything that they saw when they went on to that ark was one way, and when they came out, it's going to be completely different. This, the Earth's plates are now moving and shaking and are splitting and, and waters coming and gushing from the, all parts of the land. The firmament that water firmament, the, the vapor that God hold in the upper atmosphere is now opened up and is all that water is coming to crash down onto this earth. And 40 days and 40 nights it rained and it covered the entire world. All you could see was water. But God, moving with the wind, the fountains of the deep, he started closing that up. He started restraining the water, putting it in its place. And verse 3 And the waters receded continually from the earth, and at the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters deceased. Can you imagine? You panic and you think you hear water in your basement coming in from the too much water and the water tables coming up into your basement and you're panicking. Can you imagine being in in that ark for 150 days and the water is coming and moving and shaking and coming down? You're hearing noises and things you've never heard in your entire life and this man was 600 years old. Amazing. But by faith, he knew God saving saving him and his family from the destruction of the wickedness that was outside of that ark because remember God had to do this because the wickedness was so great the people on the earth except for Noah all they could think about is evilness and God said no it grieved God so deeply. They said it plan in motion because he had to protect the lineage of the Redeemer that he would bring. And through Noah and his wife, the Redeemer will come. We know it as we continue in the scriptures, we know it comes from the, the son Shem. Which brings about uh, Abraham. And then as we continue in the scriptures, maybe five, ten years from now, we'll get through the scriptures all. But we'll make it. But we see here that God was now restraining and putting an end to the rain after 150 days. Then in verse 4, then the ark rested in the seventh month of the 17th day of the month on the mountains, plural, of Ararat. Many say, oh, it's on the mountain of Ararat. But keep in mind what you see in the pictures today are not exactly the same height than everything else of those mountains back in the, his day because after that time we know after the age, ice age came in and all the things that those were active volcanoes and continued to erupt and erupt and erupt over all these years and those mountains grew and built. even can you imagine they probably didn't even feel an earthquake at that time and now they're feeling earthquakes taking place as everything and the, all the, the shifting of the underground is uh, the plates are resettling But the ark rested. Noah's name means comforted or rested. And God rested and brought the ark to a place on some mountain range in Ararat, which is in that northeastern part of Turkey that we know today. And all the history. And again, from a time perspective, you can go back. It is amazing of the pictures now that supposedly they're finding and seeing of Noah's Ark. High resolution from satellites that the government has found and seen and taking pictures of. Again, accurate, not accurate, whatever it may be, all I know is God's word said this and it's true. I do not need pictures today to prove God's word. I know it's true. Now, if God wants to reveal it to even make another punctuation to everybody in today's life just before he comes back and takes us out of here. Yeah, let him be. I hope it happens. I hope the the camera crew finds it and goes inside like the Titanic. They finally found after all the years they go in and we have all these images. Can they imagine what it would be if Noah's Ark? They found it and they took it in and took pictures of what it looked like. Preserved in the um, in the. uh, Iceberg um, or ice uh, capture there at fifteen thousand feet high, if that's where it's at. And many have pictures, and many have explored, and over the years, the Russians, all three or four or five different nations, at different times, back to World War II and and, and on and on, exploring back in the eighteen hundreds, have seen, have been there, and claim it. But again, I don't need that to know that God's word is true that God rested that ark right where he wanted to be on the, mount- on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters deceased continually until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So they obviously were on a high enough plateau that they could not see any other mountaintops until after some t- more of the water deceased and came down and when they started seeing more mountaintops. So it came to pass the end of the 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Remember, 40 means testing, a time of testing. And so the time of testing has ended, and now we see after all this time, he opens up the window, and he must have said, praise God. Can you imagine being in all those days locked up with all those animals and not having a window open? Hello. Hello. I open it up and you know he was praising him for fresh air. And bringing him through the storm. Bringing through that chaos of of that ark just being moved. And all the things that we can only imagine what was taking place. But he opened up that window of the ark on top there. And we see that then he sent out a raven, a black bird. Which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. But he also sent out here, if you see in verse eight, he also sent out from himself a dove, a clean animal. To see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. So he sent two birds out. The raven was a, was one that would ravage and or, or had no problem eating on the carcasses of anything that was dead. So we see the raven was going to and fro and to and fro. But we see nothing other than the fact that he was able to come to and fro. But with the dove, it's a clean animal. And we know that when he sent out the dove and, and, and to check to see if the waters continued to recede from the face of the ground. Notice in verse 9. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. So here you have the raven walking out and finding dead carcasses floating everywhere out there, eating and just fine and coming back and forth. But the dove would not eat dead carcasses, so the dove had to come back in to get food and, and to be taken care of before being sent out, as we will say. But both were tested to see if, and if the waters were coming down. But it's interesting here in verse 10, And he waited, Noah waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening and behold a freshly plucked olive leaf not branch that many times people will say but a leaf was in her mouth and Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth So he waited yet another 7 days this is the third time he sent the dove out and sent out the dove which he di- which did not return again to him anymore so now the dove has found a place to place her foot on enough where it did not have to come back to the ark for provision or for to find rest they found rest that means Noah understood that the waters now receded enough now if you and I were there how patient would you be would you sit there and say let's get out of this place it's been a long winter. This house is, the walls are closing in on me. I can't wait to get out of here because I see some sun. We have problems with one day being in the house. Try the time he spent in, a, in this ark. And the patience. The, he's, this, this man was a patient man. Building the ark for a 100 years would build patience. Being Put into this ark as long as he has, as we know, up to three hundred It would be three hundred and seventy seven days. This is a patient man. But noticed here in the scripture. In verse 13, and it came to pass in the six hundred and one and first year in the first month and the first day of the month that the waters were dried up from the earth And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then, verse 15, key words, then God spoke to Noah, saying, Noah patiently waited for God to speak before he moved. May we too have a closeness that all we want to do before we make a move is to hear God's voice speak to us about what we're praying for or what our next step will be. May we be patient. May we be willing to, God, develop long-suffering the fruit of the Spirit to develop in our lives as we see demonstrated in this faithful man, Noah, and his family. May we be patient. And so we see here, <coughs> excuse me, then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you. Birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, according to their kind, went out of the ark. I pondered on this. Many assume you see them going in two by two. And that the clean animals, if you remember, there were seven pairs of the clean animals going in. And we have this image that at the end of all this time, we're seeing two by two of the unclean animals. And these seven. An- no, no. Can you imagine during this period of time, possibly how many more animals were born on that ark? Remember, the ark was built larger than what we calculate today of what God or what Noah needed for all those animals. Even if we estimated and increased it by 20, 25% of the possible animal type kinds that we're, we don't even know about today. Still was plenty of room to even have birth, even on that during that time. Amazing. But they all came out. Just as God said. He didn't sit back and say, you know, these, these really rumblings and these clouds and these all these other things we've never seen before, I'm not sure we want to leave the, uh, the ark. We're safe right here. Why take the risk and go out here? It looks nothing like we saw before we went on here. What is going on here? Everything is wiped out and different and changed and... We had all this population, and we're the only population on the earth now. Can you imagine how scary it is to go to a new place? And not sure how it's all going to play out. But look at Noah and his wife and kids and their wives. The entire earth's surface changed. The place where they were. They were no longer in the same place where they got on that ark. The ark is now moved. Their livelihood, everything was changed. Now we're seeing thunder and lightning. What is that? Water coming from the sky. What is this? Can you imagine the potential? Why don't we get back on the ark? It was safer there. Let's go back to the the old the old life don't we want the old life back no we don't see any of those conversations because they trusted in god they didn't have to go back this is where they knew god brought them and they were at peace with that verse 20 then noah built an altar to the lord that is why we know he had peace he's now ready to worship God, and here's the first time we see an altar is built here by man to worship God. A lot of new beginnings. Wind. Storms. The land. Place. But that did not stop them from worshiping God. Now they're worshiping God and built an altar and they took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And if you noticed here in verse 21, and then the Lord smelled a smooth soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the all. Though the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Take note in verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. We now see the first, speaking of the different seasons, they would now, and you and I, now fully enjoy. Now, if you notice, some people say, well, Pastor, I don't, what happened to my favorite time of seasons? What happened to spring and fall? Well, he says there's a seed time, and there's a harvest, and there's cold, and there's heat, and there's Variations in between that—that's called spring and fall. But we see here that this the seasons that are uh, uh, that are uh, come about here from the change from because again there's no more of the uh, encompassing of the entire um, sphere of the earth in water preserving it uh, in such a beautiful climate-controlled environment. Now the climate control the climate. People talk about climate control today and the climate impact and everything else. It started right here. It didn't just start because of man. It started because the sin of man brought about a judgment or a a punishment by God by bringing the flood on this earth. That's when the climate change started. And we were experiencing it more and more as we continue because God said it would happen. So as as Christians, we should not be surprised by these things. Because God said in his word it would happen and it is happening. Now as we continue, we're going to take chapter 9 and we're going to see the Noahic covenant in verses 1 through 17. The Noahic covenant. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, and here's the very first covenant that between God and man is said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, if you know the scriptures and you've been with us in the first few chapters, especially back in Genesis chapter one verse twenty-eight, <coughs> excuse me, you will take note that that's the same commandment that Adam gave, or God gave to Adam and Eve, is was to now to be fruitful and multiply and fill the uh, and, and be right. While they were in the garden and and even outside of the garden they were supposed to do that. So now the same commandment God has given to Noah and he's consistent here in verse 2. But here's a change. After the flood. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. On every bird of the air and on all of that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. So the relationship between mankind and animal kind has now changed. Here they are, they get off the ark, they need to populate. Now we see they went from both the animal and the human kind were vegetarians prior to the flood. Now, after the flood, God says to them, as we will see in verse three, every moving, uh, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life that that is its blood. So they were vegetarians prior to the flood now coming off of the ark. They are now to eat and allowed and be able to eat not only the green herbs there in verse three, but they are also able to eat the animals on the earth. Why is that? Is that and and, and for that to happen, God had to put a fear, as we see here in this there, verse two, a fear of you and the dread of you in every beast of the earth. That includes birds, that includes even the fish of the sea. God placed within them to fear you and to stay away from you. Now, why? Could it be the fact that he needed to do this because now man is going to eat them and for them to multiply and God also knew that these animals would multiply at a faster rate than human beings and would overcome and overpopulate in some way that would also become a threat to humankind? Very possible. But God uses mankind to keep the animal population at bay for the purpose of food. And we see that taking place Again, a change after the flood. But the stipulation was for them, for Noah and his family, is that you can eat of that meat, but you cannot eat that meat, that flesh with its life, because life there's life in the blood. You must, if you're going to take that animal, you must make sure the blood is drained out of that animal before you partake of that meat. And he made that clear. That still stands today. That covenant had not changed. Now we see here. And you can go back. God even emphasizes that later on. In the Leviticus 17. And in in Deuteronomy as well. uh, Chapter 12 verse 23. I believe it is 23. Now we also see another thing changes. Not only the relationship between uh, the animal Kingdom, the animal kind versus humankind, But we see also something new happens after the flood. Verse 5. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require it and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever shed man's blood by man his blood shall be shed for the image for in the image of God he made man we see here the establishment of capital punishment we see the establishment of capital punishment here that says if you and there is a difference between murder and killing if there is a Uh, Animal that comes and murders a human being, that animal's life must be taken. If a human comes and murders another human being, that that human life should be taken. That is what God used to keep the, the population from becoming so evil again, like prior to the flood. That God had to establish a Formal government establishment of rule of law to keep the population from going astray to evilness, because your heart, as a sinner, will has the ability to do unforeseen evil things if it's not constrained. So we see here if the punishment or the, the of of someone who takes who's guilty of murder, in in an un uh, unrighteous way. We see here. I think it's in Romans 13. Let me flip over, if you want to. Romans 13, uh, Romans 13, verse one. We talk about the establishment of government here in Romans. Yep. Romans 13, verse one says, "Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God." Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do to evil be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is god's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practice evil so we can see here that god is established government after the flood to be able to bring boundaries to humankind and their evilness of their hearts And that there is punishments or consequences for that evilness that can reign in someone's heart if they're not governed by God. But authority was given. God appointed a a government to protect the people. To push back evil. And that that is used by God in through all the Old Testament. We can see it validated in the New Testament that God uses an army. God has used his army to push back evil. To be able to take care of those who are coming against his people. So that is not uh, the murder that he's talking about here. He's not talking about someone who got in an accident and caused an accident and killed someone. That's killing. That is not murder. And so there's some guidelines here, but we're talking someone who says, I'm going to take your life and I'm going to do it as a manslaughter. And those that here God established uh, capital punishment to to deal with those people. Now, as we take and continue to look at this, we see here then in verse 7 that, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. So we see the uh, again, an established covenant, God says, My covenant with you and with the, every living creature, including all your descendants, which includes you and I. That God has established a covenant. What is that covenant? Well, verse 11 says, Thus I establish my covenant with you, never, Again, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So his covenant to you and I and to them is that when they started seeing the rain again, <coughs> could they have all of a sudden went into it? Oh, no. Are we going to be again having an arc moment? Are we going to need to get back on here? Is This what's going to happen. But God set a covenant, a promise to them that says, no, I am never flood this earth with water again. That doesn't mean he didn't allow tsunamis. Doesn't mean we don't allow uh, localized flooding and those kinds of things. But he says, I will never flood the earth and I will never take out the population like he did before using water. But as we see, if you go to Matthew 24 real quick here, I think Matthew 24 is what I want to refer to. Matthew 24, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the son of man be. So we see here in the scriptures that God refers back to this time of Noah. They were there as Noah's building this ark. Preaching righteousness to the population. And as he faithfully continued to do what God commanded them to do. Regardless of what they did or did not do. Or what they said or did not say. God then shut them up in that ark. And everyone outside that ark died. What were they doing prior to going into that ark? Noah and his family was going to the ark. They were... Right there in the scriptures. They were just living life. They were just having a wonderful life here. They were eating and drinking. That doesn't mean they were drinking alcohol and they were drunk. drunk. It could be. It doesn't say that. It just says drinking. If you look at the original language there on that word, it doesn't refer to alcohol in any form. They were just eating and drinking. They were sitting and having their meals. and They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. He says it'll be just like that when God sends, when Jesus Christ comes back to rapture the church out of this world, it'll be just like that. People will not have a care in the world of what God said, what God is is trying to tell the people of this world. They're just doing their thing, living their life, however they want to live it. And God says it gives us a warning there. But he also gave us a warning in 2 Peter. If you go to the right, a few more books there. Eventually, you're going to get to 1 Peter, then to 2 Peter, to chapter 3. If you go gone to 1 John, you've gone too far. 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remember that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. They were scoffing, I'm sure, Noah and his family. Have you been scoffed about the fact that you've been sharing with your loved ones and family and friends that God is coming back for us, that they need to get ready, they need to give their life to Jesus Christ? Admit that they're sinners, they need to be saved. Have you been saying that? And they mock you back and tell you you're foolish. And What do you believe in those things? And how can you believe the Bible? And those are your Christian friends. I'm talking just your Christian friends. Your non-Christian friends are actually saying, oh, that's good for you. They don't even really mock you anymore probably. But your Christian friends who do not believe in the word of God and have gone astray and brought in the world into the church, they're the ones that's mocking you. So that's what he's talking about here. So we sit here and we see these scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, speaking of the flood, by which the world that... Then existed uh, existed parish, being flooded with water, verse seven. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So God has promised that covenant here, the Noah covenant, is that I'm not going to flood the earth with water. But when I do come back and judge the ungodly men, it will be by fire this time. And that's what the word of God says. Regardless of what you feel or think, that is the word of God. Verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant. Now we see another sign here, part of the Noah covenant, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpet- perpetual generations. Verse 13 I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and get this verse, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And then God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So many times we see the rainbow and we say, oh, how beautiful. Oh, incredible. And sometimes we see a double rainbow. And we go, oh, we're double blessed. But if you look at the scriptures, God created the rainbow for him to look down upon to remember what he's done for his people. His covenant. It's his rainbow. To. Rem- not to remember again. its He doesn't need to remember. But it, it is a covenant of showing. That his promise. He is a faithful God. And he is going to fulfill that faithfulness. That. That. You and I can see it and see the beauty of it and a reminder and it brings us back to the story. But our promise is heaven. Our our future, our future is not sitting here continuing to look at these rainbow here, but we will see a rainbow in heaven. Turn with me to, I think it's uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, I believe it's verse 3 here, if I remember correctly. Yes, the throne of the, the throne room of heaven. Look at what we will see. You think the uh, the rainbow today is awesome. <laughs> Wait till you see what it's gonna be in heaven as a believer in Christ. Look at his, he says, He, God, who sat there, was like a jasper. And a sardis stone in appearance. I have no idea what that stone would look like. But I know it's going to be awesome. Right? It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be something we can't even put our mind around. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Can you imagine how pure that green emerald looks like? Oh, it's going to be awesome. I c- Carol You can imagine what Carol's saying right now as she peers in the throne room of God and seeing that rainbow. Amazing. See, that rainbow is the promise I keep my eyes on. I will be in heaven as a child of God when he decides to be absent from this body. And I can't wait. I hope he raptures us out. But if this body wears out before that time, uh, don't matter with me. I'm going to be in the hands of God. And I will be in the throne of God, and I will see that beautiful rainbow. Amen? Do you guys have that same promise? Yes. Are you excited about that? Because you should be. Because I don't know about you. Climate change is happening. It's not going to be pretty around here. It's going to be beautiful in heaven. And I can't wait. So, with that. Now. Now. Verse 18, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These were; these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer. I don't know if he was a farmer prior to it. Before he started, God gave him the commandment to build the ark. I, you know, think he was probably a builder. But God's sense of humor, I don't think it changes. I think he, he, he probably was a farmer, and God had a sense of humor. and says, you're going to be now a builder. You're going to build an ark. I've never done that. Exactly. I get all the credit. Now we see here, he comes off the ark. He's now, the, the scriptures here say, began. To be a farmer. So I'm assuming it's it's something new for him. And he planted a vineyard. He must have understood it uh, prior to getting on the ark. They 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 were farming and they had vineyards. We don't understand that. But here in verse 21, it gets a little interesting in the verbiage. It says, then he drank of the wine. Wine is the very first mention of wine is right here in the scripture. And what was the result of drinking that wine? And was drunk. The first mention of drunkenness in the scripture is mentioned right here. And it's by, and the who's doing it? The righteous man, Noah. Interesting. But continue. And became uncovered in his tent. He became naked in his tent. And then here in verse 22, And Ham, the father of Canaan, Interesting verbiage here. Ham, yes, his son. But he's also, God is bringing in the fact that he's the father of Canaan. Why? Not sure. But it says, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So we have a lot of discussion around these scriptures of what has taken place. What happened to Noah? Here's a righteous man who kept him, he, you know, he wasn't an evil man living through evil thoughts. But remember, he was a person who was born, born a sinner, and he was not perfect. He was. The scripture says he was perfect in his generations, meaning of all of his generation, he was perfect compared to them. But he wasn't sinless. There were only one who was sinless, and that is Jesus Christ. So don't put Noah on a pedestal because if you do he comes to come crashing down here in these verses. This is the blot on his life stories right here. Is here is a man faithful, obedient, long suffering, doing what God has called him to do and then he beca- he began as a farmer, he plants the vineyards and now he drinks the wine. Now again we know in the scriptures later on, it's it's not a sin to drink wine. It is drunkenness is the sin. But where is where is what's drunkenness not? I always say, you know, you're sitting here, oh, look, I just have a glass of wine. It's, I'm not sinning. What did you do? Put a little line on the cup somewhere that says, if I have, fill it up past this line, then I know I'm going to get a little woozy and, and drunk, and so I better not go past that wine? I mean, people don't do that. So you have to be very careful. So for some reason... After the flood, he drank wine, and he became drunk. That we do know. And the result of drunkenness, as we even see today in our statistics, sexual abuse, sexual deviation takes place from being compromised in your mind by the drinking or called drunkenness of Alcohol, and God loves you so much that He warns us, and He warns even right from a righteous man coming off. They had no, no major influence by the world at this point in time. Remember, so you can't. Oh, I'm a drunker because of society. Get over that. That is that. That's just because of your sin within your body, within your within your inner man. Because these people did not have the influence of the entire drunken world around them at that time. Here is a sinful nature that allowed for this wine to change and alter the mind of him that got him drunk, which caused him to somehow, some way, become naked and exposed within his tent. Ham, whatever happened, went into his tent. And he saw his father in a naked state saw that his father had sinned with drunkenness. And what did he do? And it's a warning to you and I. He should have made a different choice. But he sinned by dishonoring his father. And he went out, and if when we look at this, the original word here, told, in the Hebrew language, he couldn't wait to blast out what he just saw and witnessed the state of sin within his father, and he told outwardly and dishonored his father. He couldn't wait to tell his two brothers outside. shouldn't have done that if you come in contact with someone today and you hear or you are somehow unexpectedly catch or see someone in sin what do you do with that information now if it's to heart harm himself or others you must do something about that but I'm talking A sin that, not harming himself or others in a a, a way that, that you're supposed to alert, but in a way that it does not bring honor, to obviously, and needs that man. Do you go tell other people about someone's sin? No, you do not. You should go to that person directly and help that person to bring them back to a place that God would honor. You do not go blab to everybody, even your brothers and sisters. You should be praying for them and trying to help them to restore them back to a right relationship with God. So when he went to his two brothers, what did they choose to do? They did the right thing. We see here in the scriptures. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders... And went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. They honored their father. They protected their father. They covered the father because that was the right thing to do to honor their their father. To not allow this to continue. They needed to come and help him. What's interesting is verse 24. And this is what brings controversy up. So Noah awoke from his wine. Did you notice he did not wake from his sleep? The wine caused him to pass out. He woke from the wine. Once the wine wore off, that's the consequences when you get drunk. He woke from the wine and he knew what his younger son had ham his younger son had done to him what did he do i keep it very straightforward of what the scripture tells me i do not add and i do not add to the scriptures i don't speculate his father recognized that he was he was being dis, he did, was dishonored by his his uh, younger son And then he said, Cursed be Canaan. Now we know the scriptures we get in chapter 10 that Ham had more than Canaan. It's only one of his sons. But here we see that Noah cursed Canaan's line, his line off of Ham. And to be a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And may he dwell in the tents of Shem, or Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. So we see the curse that Canaan, or the Canaanites, as we get into the scriptures... Who are many people are off track of who they are? We will learn that next week in chapter 10. We're going to go through and we're going to talk about, and hopefully, I'll have a picture of where the, the three brothers kind of dispersed. And, and, and we'll see as we get into the Tower of Babel, we'll see how God used and moved people around the world. But we know this Canaan settled in Egypt, in Iraq, Iran, and those areas around Israel, they become the enemies. And if you remember, there's they had to be wiped out. So they're not from Africa. They could be parts of Upper Africa, but this is these are Canaanites that they're referring to here. And God said to Noah and Noah, in case cursed Canaan and the fact that he was going to be uh, servants to Shem and we uh, also to Japheth. And then we close here. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So as we continue, we'll notice he's a 950-year-old man when he dies. At that time, as we look at the scriptures, we see that Abraham was 58 years old at this point. So he was able to share with Abraham all that took place. Before the flood and after the flood. Shem, based on the scriptures, lived longer than than Noah. And so, again, that continues to move into passing down uh, very confidently the historical value of understanding of what took place before and after the flood. Incredible verses here, these two chapters. So we've seen the foundation, chapters 1 and 2, the, the formation, I should say, of, 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 and the foundation of the world and, uh, and mankind and animal kind. Now we see here in the verses up to chapter 9, the flood. But I, I missed a piece here. Chapters 3 through 5 was the persecution or the of, of, of the judgment on the earth. And then we saw the flood taking it into here, chapter 9. And then we'll continue here in chapter 10. Eventually, we're going to get into the four four men study, starting with Abraham, as we continue through the verses, verse by verse.